What's up, guys? It's Friday, May 8th, 2020. I don't know why I bother telling you the year, because it's not going to change until January, or, yeah, December, January. Uh, that switch over. Yeah, yeah, my brain's a little frazzled. Give me a break. Anyway, um, just going to do a little intro here for you guys, and then we're going to dive in to the real beef of the episode, because my guest today is a uh, pretty interesting guy. Uh, Bill Ottman, he is the co-founder and uh, CEO of Minds.com. Minds.com, if you don't know uh, what that is, it's a social media network. Uh, that's uh, it, It's not brand spanking new, but it's fairly new uh, in the social media world. And it works, uh, it works differently from Twitter and Facebook. We're going to go into the nuances in the, in the interview. Uh, but Bill's also a freedom of information activist, uh, and he's uh, just a very interesting guy. Uh, he's got a very big tech guy uh, in, in in the uh, current playing field. Very, uh, We had a nice, long conversation for uh, almost nearly an hour over a host of different topics. I think you guys are going to love it, so... I'm not going to keep dragging this out, you know. We could talk about COVID and updates and all that, uh, which, yeah, it's a COVID world. But you know what? Let's do something a little different. Let's talk about the Internet, information, uh, social media. Let's talk about that. So without further ado, my guest, Bill Ottman. Ottman, Bill, how are you doing today? Hey, hey, great. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on the show, man. I really appreciate uh, the opportunity I have to have you on here, pick your brain a little bit, figure out a little bit more about you. So uh, I appreciate your time. So um, you you've created uh, you've created a, a social media network in in Minds.com. You're the CEO, co-founder. Uh, can you tell my my listeners a little bit more about your backstory and, and who you are? Yeah, sure. Um... So I started Minds. It's an open source social network dedicated to transparency, privacy, free speech, um, you know, digital rights in general. We have a whole monetization system that we're using to try to help creators earn revenue, basically just doing everything the opposite of the big tech networks who are really just on the path to chaos right now. And then, you know, otherwise for me, I have always just been interested in just getting to the the bottom of of what's really going on on this planet and trying to do what I can to help make it work better. (laughs) Yeah. It's not working too well right now. So it's a little chaotic. Yeah, yeah, there's a little chaotic. There's good, there's good parts. There's, of course, of course, yeah. but you have to have chaos mixed into there. Otherwise, you know, it wouldn't be any fun. That's very true. You can't even experience, uh, you can't experience calmness without chaos because you need to have the juxtaposition. Yeah, absolutely not. Um, so, just to break some things down, so open source network. What exactly does that? What does exactly does that entail, and what does that mean? Because I'm hoping to bring it more into the public lexicon, but basically it just means that all of our code is transparent, public, auditable. It means that anybody can take our software and make their own social network. They're not beholden to us. 
Um, you know, and that's just really important for the principle of understanding what the hell the algorithms are doing. And so no major social network is open source. All of their code is totally secret. So, you know, we also are partially community owned. So like thousands of members of our community actually own stock in mines, which we did through a really cool program called equity crowdfunding, which got passed into law a few years back, which basically allows startups to raise money from both accredited and non-accredited investors. Okay. So we published our financials yearly, you know, we're just way more transparent than, I mean, uh, public companies obviously have to publish their financials, but you know, most major social networks were resisting that until the very end. Right. They were kind of pressured into it, weren't they? I mean, I think that, you know, they want to keep their cards close until they absolutely have to reveal what's going on. So, I mean, I think that they probably right. did did want to go public eventually, but, you know, until that moment, they were as secretive as possible. And they, they still are. Right. And, and that... That kind of plays into Twitter, Facebook, uh, Google even. They all have these algorithms, right? They're all tied to like advertisement companies and, and how things get like tailor-made to your cell phone almost, like mm-hmm. things that you're interested in. Mm-hmm. And, and that is that – there's no association with that with Minds or is there like in terms no, of – No, we don't, we, we don't do that. We have advertising, but it's not surveillance-based. It's um, – Basically, we're not doing any targeting and you can turn it off. So we have the system where you earn crypto tokens for your activity on the site, and then you can use those tokens to boost your content. One token gets you a thousand views and, you know, promotion in itself is, is a good thing. I mean, pe- people want to want to promote their content. So we're not anti-advertising. I think there's some alternative networks that kind of take that stance. They're like, you know, no ads ever. And it's like, well, you know, actually sometimes they can be useful. You just don't want them to be annoying or creepy. Right, right. Well, I don't want them personally, like if I'm talking about Jeep Wranglers or whatever to my buddies, because I do this all the time, I'll talk about something or I might just search it once, but then all of a sudden every ad that I see is something that I either talked about or something that I searched on Google. Yeah, and, we do we do not do that. Right, right. I mean, the concept of that is kind of cool, but it, it freaks me out a little bit uh, more out of my comfort zone. Than Again, I it's yeah, and it all, all it, it comes back to consent. Like sometimes that could be used. Like if you opt in to that. And you say, look, as long as, you know, you're not spying on me, but if, um, you know, if I want to share certain data with the network, then that should be my choice to do. And actually, I should probably get compensated for that somehow. Um, So I think that targeting is also not inherently negative as long as the targeting is consensual. Like you don't. You don't want to be in a program that you're not aware of. Right, right. And and I'm betting if I ask this question, I, I think I know where you'll, where you'll end up going with it. 
uh, a lot of that consent, quote unquote, is wrapped up in like very large legal and user agreements, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Which no one reads. Right. You know, you're not even really in a position to opt out. So, you know, the only way to opt out is to not use the site, which actually more and more people are starting to do uh, just leave. But, you know, when you sign up, you know, Facebook has this whole and, and Google and Twitter. I mean, you go into your settings and they have these extensive, quote unquote, privacy controls. Right, but, right. You know, that has more to do with like visibility. Um, you cannot opt out of the surveillance programs in on, on those sites. You know, there, there's there's no way to just fully opt out. Basically, they're capturing a footprint of you, whether you like it or not. Right. And that's that what they consider, you know, the costs of their product, you know, that you're you get it for no money, but you're certainly still paying for it. And, you know, the crazy thing is, I think there are a lot of people who would pay to not be getting, tra- you know, they pay five bucks a month to Google or Facebook or, or whoever in order to not have this happening to them. And that should, pr- that, you would think that some monthly price would be able to cover the cost hit that it would be to them to to not do it. But yeah, I, for some reason, they're just not allowing that option. We actually, that that is our revenue model. Like, yes, we sell, we sell tokens so you can do uh, the advertising, but you can also get Minds Plus or Minds Pro, which is more for like pro creators. Um, and we charge monthly for that. I, I, I keep bringing this up, but it was a funny exchange on Twitter I saw the other day. There's this guy who's the CEO of Basecamp, and, which is like a collaboration tool, and they're launching an email service. And someone on Twitter was like, hey, um, how are you going to make money off this? And he goes, money. We're going to charge money. Right, right. <laughs> because, you know, that's sort of rare in Silicon Valley to just charge money. There's sort of this consumer tech paradigm where you know the data is 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 sort of how you're monetizing it which is really just it that needs to just stop it's people are over it and you know maybe some people aren't over it and and they'll do it but they should have the choice to turn it off right right and i i think i i think you have a point there that uh before it seemed like everybody was, you know, on the internet and these things were, you know, quote unquote free. Uh, I'm, I'm more inclined to believe your line of thinking. I think what you're saying is pretty much we're, we're selling ourselves. We're selling our data, our blueprint to these companies. They're getting it for free because we're using their product and we've agreed to it. And then they make all the money off of the ad, targeted ads, the algorithms, the revenues, all that all that business that we don't really see, it's kind of behind closed doors and, and behind the curtains and you can't turn it off. Uh, I, but I think, I think you might be right. I think people are kind of moving away from this whole, well, I pay for the internet, everything on the internet's free. Uh, it's like, they're starting to second guess that idea of, you know, is it a good idea just because this thing is free? 
for me to be diving in and using it and not really even not even really paying mind to the, you know, 15, 20 or 74 page user agreement, whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's tough, though. I mean, they, uh, you know, people just love new technology. They love, you know, trying trying all the new apps like now. Now it's all about TikTok. And TikTok mm-hmm. is just, you know, surveillance nightmare. It's, I think it's mostly Chinese owned and it's, uh, it's scary. But though I have seen some back, some, you know, significantly more back, backlash about TikTok than other apps recently because of the surveillance stuff. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's like people just want to forget. Because, you know, Facebook owns Instagram, WhatsApp, you know, you don't hear people complaining about Instagram, really. Everyone loves Instagram. Instagram's like the trendy app, which, you know, it's a beautifully designed app, but like it is, it is Facebook and people like to try to pretend that it's not. So it's really difficult to to change the tides because one, these apps are freaking useful. They, you know, they are good communication tools and they're extremely well built, but they have this rotten core and, or, you know, they're just like infected. And so it's really just like a drug addiction. You know, it's good, but you know, unless they're willing to change, there's going to be room for alternatives. And that's kind of where we come in. And it's going to take time. It's going to take a long time because, you know, these companies aren't going to turn into MySpace. It's not the same time. They're, they're, they're much more deeply embedded in culture than MySpace was. Right, right. And I'm actually going to, I'm going to throw a call back here to an interview that I, I believe you did on Joe Rogan's podcast. I believe you said, I believe you kind of compared it to food. We all want to know what's in our food. Why don't we seem to want to know what's in our apps, like what we're downloading on our phones, what's on our computers, you know, GPS systems that we might use, whatever the case may be. Mm -hmm. Uh, Do you think that that's something like, do you think that that's like a movement that you're trying to drive and lead like awareness of what you're doing? It's not. It's not just this free open world that's free of dangers or anything, but rather we need to be a little more self-conscious of what's going on with, with what we're doing. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, yeah, I, I love the food transparency analogy, but it's not like, you know, any of us are, you know, you look at your food, you see, is it organic? You see, is it uh, you know, GMO? Where's it from? You know, you look at you look at the ingredients. You know, we're not all food scientists, but it's becoming super common for people to, you know, look at the packaging, look at the basics about what's going on with the food. And, you know, I sort of have this litmus test when I go to a website. I always go to the footer and I look and see if I can if there's any link to the code. Um, usually you'll have 
apps that are open source will link to their GitHub or GitLab, or there'll be like a link to the code in the footer because, you know, they're, they're, they're proud of the fact that they're doing that, just like the organic companies are proud and they have the organic label. So, you know, the easy place to start for people who would obviously never go and actually look at the code is to just go to the footer and just see if there's a link to it. Awesome. Now that, that that's that's something that I don't even know a lot about. Looking at source codes and all that. That's just that that's just what they use to build their website and and if they collect data or anything, that's all in the source code. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, if you go to the uh, footer and usually there'll be a little icon, you know, next to the social icons, but which is a link to this site called GitHub or GitLab. GitLab is like the one that we use, but GitHub is basically a social coding network. And so that's the place where most apps in the build, in the world are getting built. It's a yeah, just collaboration tool for coders. And, you know, and just because it's open source doesn't mean that it's secure necessarily, but the companies that are sharing their code typically have a dedication to these principles you know that's why they're they're in it for the right reasons you know they're it's not a hundred percent you could definitely have some some uh spy tools in in you know just because it's transparent doesn't mean it's not gonna <laughs> hurt you i mean they're, right, you, right. You, you could transparently drink poison mm -hmm. so um but yeah, that's what I look for. It's kind of this little like monster looking icon uh, or this little like, I think they call it like the Octocat is there. It's just like this weird little little guy. But um, yeah, you know, that's about, I, there's no like organic icon for, for open source apps. That's something I've thought about maybe doing at some point. Just something that's a little bit more obvious to people right. so you scroll down and see like a little label and you're like you know this is th this app is like secure or signed off on but there's not like an auditing agency that that's a project that i've just considered starting at some point some sort of like certification program for apps that would have to do with security and transparency and you could get this little thing for your site so steal my idea if you want I don't have time. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, now you're you're known as a, as a bit of a freedom of information activist. Um, I, I kind of want to dive in uh, to the next layer in the social media business. Uh, Minds.com. You you guys are open. You guys don't aren't, don't really play into the censorship thing. Uh, right. Twitter. We know that uh, there's this whole deep level of shadow banning and things that you can look into. Um, what is what is shadow banning exactly? Because I know I know some of my friends who have claimed that they're shadow banned. Mm -hmm. I know some of the basic concept of like your posts being hidden or or taken out of search engines. What what is this concept of shadow banning from Twitter? Uh, YouTube kind of does it with demonetization and all that. Like, can you bust into that a little bit? Yeah, sure. I mean, yeah, you pretty much hit the hit the points, but ba based on who you're connected with and what you post, the 
algorithms and AI and machine learning will sort of build profiles on everybody and punish or reward those channels based on, you know, a, a number of variables. So, you know, if you're, I mean, Twitter now is even giving you this little, I think they're rolling it out as experiments. They're giving you a little warning if you swear. Yeah, I know. I, I, I did, actually, did it happen to you? No, no, it hasn't happened to me, but I went on that tweet and I tweeted a cuss word because I'm immature, but, <laughs> but, um, I, I did read about that. They, they wanted to do this like next level policing of, you know, you might want to think twice before you cuss in a post or, or what you say in a post. And yeah. that, that seemed very, uh, you know, seemed very, I, it's not coming from a government, but it still seems Orwellian to me about this controlling of, for sure, yeah. You know what people see or what people say. Yeah, what's what's that funny meme of like that thought police guy and he's like, sounds like you've had a little too much to think. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but so yeah, shadow banning. Basically, if you use that that kind of language, I mean, you'll get pushed down in the comments, you'll get pushed down in search, you'll get per pushed down everywhere. And but we don't know exactly how it works because we can't look at the code. Right. It's, so yeah. it's, you know, there's a lot of theorizing going on, probably, probably over speculation in some circumstances, probably under speculation and under in other circumstances. So, um, you know, their policies are, are basically all the same. They're, they're, they're all banning, you know, what they deem as, as hate speech, but like, for instance, what are, are we are you allowed to swear on this podcast you are open to say whatever the hell you want all right cool uh so if you say like i fucking love you right well what's the how's the swear detector gonna gonna handle that because that that is actually a bad word but you're saying that you love the person yeah yeah i so, can see so, so that so stuff like that will will start to to happen or if you say i fucking hate you then, but you're sort of being sarcastic. Yeah. And you're, you know, you, you, or, or just, you're, you know, because it can't detect context. It can't detect sarcasm. It can't detect nuance. And it's, it's never really going to be able to do that accurately. I mean, maybe it'll start to, to get there, but right now it's not even close. Like the AI is pretty dumb when it comes to those kind of uh, complexities of language. So, you know, they, that's why it's just a really expensive attempt at policing things that, you know, they have huge teams working on this. And at the end of the day, it's just like, what, why don't you just let all legal content be on the site? Like, what are you really trying to achieve? You're, you're, you're actually losing market. You're losing people who are really pissed about this because there's a lot of people who are really upset, you know, there, maybe they haven't left yet, but once, once there's a good enough alternative, a lot of them will. And you're just wasting time. I mean, you're, you're having all these people like worry about people swearing at each other. Like, you know, this isn't like kindergarten. This is, this is the internet. So let's like provide different, you know, you can have filters. You, you know, I, I do think that, you know, by default, I, you know, I don't know if you should necessarily be, uh, you know, a user should probably have to opt in to see like nudity and 
stuff like that. Right, right. But, um, you know, beyond that, it's like, let people do what they're going to do. Like, you don't, it's just, it's such a nanny type situation. And they think that they're doing this really helpful thing for people to keep everybody safe. And, you know, so you don't see misinformation. And so you don't get the wrong idea about coronavirus or, or whatever it is. But at the end of the day, it's just like, guys, that's not your job. Not no. Ultimately, and the thing that gets me about when I read that that uh, article about how they were thinking about taking it to the next level, policing against uh, uh, cussing, you know, mm-hmm. Twitter itself has those profile settings where you can mute certain words, you can block accounts, you can right. block mute accounts so they have these great self-policing tools in there for Mm. people who you know if you absolutely don't want to see something it's really easy to go in there and just block it you can build up your own echo chamber as much as you want uh that's on you as a user it's not i don't need twitter to tell me you know oh hey that tweet was bad like maybe i want to see the tweet even if it is even if it's bad misinformation whatever maybe i want to see it so I can see it firsthand rather than just have some outside source tell me, you know, no, nah, you don't want to look at that. You know, look, look over here. This is the good stuff. This is the bad stuff. We're going to just block it for you. Um, I, I think that actually builds up a, a scarier environment for the Internet. Um, and then mentioning you talking about COVID, I might as well take steps into that direction right now. I'm sure. Did you see the, the video of uh, Dr. Dan Erickson and Artin Massey? From the Bakersfield doctors, I, you mean the one that got taken down from YouTube? Yeah, yeah. I one. didn't actually watch all of it. I watched like the first five minutes of it. Right. So, um, but I, I kind of know the gist. But if you could give an overview, that'd be good. I mean, they they sat on an it was an ABC News interview, and I think it was like forty minutes long of them talking about and breaking things down. They brought out some statistics and all that. Um. I know at least two agencies in, in LinkedIn with American Healthcare denounced their video uh, because of some of the data that was presented. Uh, they were claim it's as if YouTube took it off, saying it violated their their code of conduct. But there's no, there was no like specific thing highlighted. YouTube didn't come out and say, okay, they violated this specifically, and this is why we took it down. It just says it violated community standards. And the only thing they had to go off of is these these two different agencies. I forget which ones they were that said that some of the some of the data and talking points they used were not um, were kind of misrepresented, you know, as misinformation. Uh, but to me, at least anyway, when I look at it, the overall reason it was taken down is because it was two doctors who at the end of the day were saying, you know what, we're being too extreme with covid precautions and all this stuff. And they didn't want that on the form. That's that's how it feels to me. Even if there might have been, you know, you can dig into a lot of people, you know, talking about something and find out, you know, oh, they were wrong about the data over here, you know, or they misrepresented it or they misinterpreted it. But when you take it down, nobody even has the opportunity to to analyze it on their own anymore. And I think that's a big problem. Yeah, I mean – I'm pretty sure that when two doctors are 
analyzing data, that that is worthy of being in the public conversation. I mean, didn't Elon tweet out that video? And like, yeah, he, I'm pretty, I, and it's like, look, Elon is a, you know, wild guy and it, obviously he makes mistakes, but you know, to say like, I, I don't even know about the validity of what those doctors were saying, but it is worthy of being in the conversation. Like it's, it's not even close from where I'm coming from to be like bannable content, you know, because mistakes, this whole misinformation is a very clever word because, you know, if I put, if I put up a video that says two plus two equals eight, are you going to ban me? You know, that's misinformation. Yeah. It's, it's a mistake. You know, are people not allowed to make mistakes? So are you saying that everything on the platform is true now? Because, you know, how do you really decipher between mistakes, misinformation, jokes, you know, deliberate, uh, you know, the the intention, again, detecting detention, intention, like, okay, if somebody is maliciously trying to get people to drink poison, okay, that's one scenario. But if somebody mistakenly says two plus two equals eight, it's like, how, it's just impossible to enforce. And it's, it, it, at the end of the day, it's like, it's, it's disrespectful of the community to think that people don't have the ability to just scroll by, or like you said, self-police, go into your settings, click what you don't want to see. I mean, you're, they already provide lots of tools to do this. And it's, it's just really scary that, you know, they're getting in everybody's heads, everyone, everybody's heads to, you know, have this chilling effect where when you post, you're like, oh, should I post that? You know, it really, it, it has a much more subliminal effect on culture than you would think. And it, it does make people think twice about how they're communicating. So, you know, that it, that's scary because we don't even know what we're missing because it's just deep in our brains. We, we, you know, you can't, you can't predict what, um, you know, Elon Musk or uh, Sam Harris or, you know, whatever, whoever it is would have said if they had been in a truly open forum where they weren't scared of any repercussions. I mean, generally, I think those guys are not typically scared to say what they think. But, you know, I think we all probably self-censor more than we would if we felt confidence that we weren't going to get banned. I could definitely see that. I, I, to me, I wish these, I, I wish these websites and the internet was a little more like, like Joe Rogan's podcast almost. Like Joe mm-hmm. Rogan will have anybody on. He'll talk to anybody who who will sit down in in the chair and, and have a conversation with him. And everywhere else on the internet, it's like it, it seems like almost a polar opposite of that. It's like play by the rules or get banned. You know, 
if we don't like you, you're gone. Well, they, they play this game of if you talk to somebody who has extreme views on one side or the other, then suddenly, because you're talking to that person, you agree with everything they say. And it's like, well, no, you have to be able to talk to people who are completely different from people because if you don't provide a platform for people with extreme ideas, then they will never change their mind. If you ban those people, then they will go further down whatever rabbit hole they are in on whatever side of the spectrum. So, you know, the, the damage that the big networks think they're preventing, they're actually cause they are manufacturing and creating more radical ideology more so than preventing it by banning it. Because if you actually look at the research around this topic, it is the process of providing extreme individuals with an outlet to speak is that is how you de-radicalize them. If they even need to be de-radicalized. I'm not saying that extreme ideas are, are never appropriate. Sometimes, you know, it's necessary to be radical in, in certain regards. Um, I think, you know, the history of civil disobedience and protest would, would prove that. So, but in certain circumstances, extreme ideas are ridiculous and violent and, and shouldn't, and, you know, we do want to change them, but you, you, but you're not going to change them if you ban them. So it's just like, have these people even done research about what actually works? And it, it sort of, it, what it says to me is that it's not about de-radicalization to them. It's about controlling narratives. It's about controlling the discourse. They want more power than they actually want to solve the problem. Because guess what? If you, it's not an easy thing to change people's minds. That takes, that could take decades. And, you know, you have to be patient with it. So guess what? Are you going to have to coexist with some, some neo-Nazis or some you know, uh, Islamic uh, terrorists or or uh, ideologues, maybe not terrorists, because I think we can probably all agree that the violence is is against the law. Call like direct calls for violence is is I mean that that's not legal, but you know, rope that in a little bit and just take any sort of religious ideologue or whatever it is. You know, you need to talk to them. There's no getting around it. Right. Right. Well, like, and, and just to reiterate on your point, uh, banning somebody because of some, they're saying something that you don't like kind of almost like reinforces their negative opinion. If, if it is a negative opinion or a bad opinion and you can't you can't have that discourse, you can't have you, can, you don't even have the opportunity to change their mind. You've right. you've now solidified their view almost because now you've made them a victim you've given them a victim status mm-hmm. and that can be pretty powerful for especially uh the stronger minded of those people uh so so in that sense i mean like you bring up a good point there's there's laws in place for for things like you know calls to violence that like if you posted something like that on a network uh, we have law that's dead to rights to get you for for 
inciting violence or trying to incite violence. Mm-hmm. Uh, do the networks play? Do you, in your mind, do the networks play any role in in, in terms of finding that information, passing that information on to law, uh, censoring it, or you know, what's your view on on like Minds.com, what's Minds.com role in what sure. gets posted on the network? Yeah, I mean, like if we find, uh, say, for instance, um, yeah, like uh, a clear true threat of, of calling for violence or, um, you know, if we theoretically found like child porn or something, like we're not just going to wait to get told mm-hmm. to take that down. So we will be you know, active to a certain degree. Um, but, you know, that's pretty much it. We're not, um, we're not going like, I mean, we have reporting tools. We have, uh, we, we actually built a whole appeals process, a jury, so that actually if we make mistakes, our community can vote on the appeals so that we sort of keep ourselves in check. Right. So basically if, if a community member feels like they were wrongly banned or um, given a strike, they can appeal it. And, you know, we, we've had, we're 90, over 90% of the time, you know, people don't argue with the choices that our moderators make, but, you know, a few times we've made mistakes and it's awesome to see, you know, us, being able to engineer ourselves to protect against ourselves, I love that process. That's like, you know, that's what it's all about. Sort of having the the skepticism of of yourself to to know that guess what? As networks grow, things, you know, even if you weren't expecting in the beginning that you were going to get pressured to to change. I mean, Twitter started off as being very free speech. Right, right. They they really changed a lot over time. So I'm very cognizant of the fact that, you know, that could happen to us and 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 putting as I mean, it can't ultimately happen to us as much as it could with Twitter because because our code's open source, anybody could actually just take our code, put up a new network and it could, you know, if we started getting too uh, overreaching, I'm sure that another net, another node would pop up and everybody would just go there. So from the beginning we sort of put that protection in place so that, you know, ultimately people can just whiz up another, another version of the site very easily. So, um, I don't know if that answers the question. I don't remember what you originally said. No, I, no, I think that was, I think that was a good overview of, of the subject. Um, with that, some of the uh, so, like some of the discussion about you know COVID going on. I know Facebook like th- they were putting on bans and taking down content of people who were, and this is the really scary bit in my book. Seeking to, uh, you know, live out their their constitutional rights. Like they were taking down and flagging pages or or event calendars for you know rallies we're gonna go rally at the capitol uh first amendment right first amendment right government actually doesn't really by the law of the constitution have the right to ban a group of people from gathering and doing that Mm -hmm. but facebook was going the next level and saying well we're just going to take that content down we're not going to let them organize on our platform 
how do you feel about I mean, there's one argument, I guess you could say, that Facebook's an entity and you agree to use it and they can kind of do whatever they want. But to me, at least anyway, I think it sets a very, very bad and dangerous precedent of, you know, this is a platform. This is kind of like it's digital, but it's still kind of like the public realm. This is like the new this is all integrated in our lives This is what we do. We go online. We talk to people. We organize online. We do all this stuff. So. I mean, do you find that another scary aspect in there that uh, that a network could go to the next level and say, all right, well, now we're going to really take away something that you have a fundamental right to do just right. because, you know, we don't like it because it's against, you know, a government and COVID or whatever. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I mean, we take a pretty simple stance with it. I think you have to crystallize this topic to to be simple because if you get into every type of edge case what you know whether it's organizing an event or posting a certain type of content it's like we typically stick to what has been referred to as the manila principles for digital intermediaries which was created by um, a consortium of digital rights groups including the electronic frontier foundation and that says that basically digital intermediaries, whether it's a social network or a domain company or whoever it is that is, is facilitating global communications is just not going to diverge from, from what's lawful. That's, that's the line. And so, you know, Obviously, yeah, I think it's it's problematic if, if Facebook is doing that with the events. You know, I don't want to get in. I, I, it, it, it shouldn't be because they're getting tons of pressure saying, listen, you are facilitating the spread of this pandemic. You have to do something. This is not acceptable. And because they are adopting the content policy that they have adopted, which where they are taking down all kinds of stuff that's perfectly legal. It's like, guess what? Yeah, they have to do it with events too, because they've already bent over. So, you know, for them to be consistent with their already uh, ridiculous content policy. Yeah, they, you know, they, they've already submitted so they and now they just rolled out what's called they're calling like the Supreme Court of Facebook, which is so stupid because they spent a hundred million dollars on hiring like all these lawyers and a judge to to moderate their appeals process so that if people you know think that you know appeals basically go to go to this body. But if you read between the lines, the mandate of that Supreme Court is still to enforce Facebook's policy. Right. It's it's not to actually rewrite Facebook's policy. It's not to call that policy into question. Basically, is what no, no, no. It's 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 just to you know, make sure that their current policy is being upheld properly, so that Facebook isn't making mistakes with their own policy. It's it's a total charade it's not it, it, it will do nothing to change people's actual objections to facebook this is what facebook does like every time they get under fire 
is like do some sort of uh, cover up of, and, and, you know, like with the privacy controls. They'll be like, oh, you're upset about surveillance? We just rolled out all these, all these privacy controls. It's like, well, actually, you're not even letting me make you stop spying on me. Right. That's, the only thing, that's the only thing I actually cared about. But you, and you just created this whole console for me to like have an illusion that I have privacy. So they're, you know, they're really good at spending like 100 million bucks on a program that you know, tricks most people into thinking that they, that they address the problem. Wow. That's, and I, that's something that I haven't even looked in more deeply. I'm, I'm glad that you brought up the, the Facebook Supreme court idea. Um, because I had heard about it, but it was like a passing thought. Um, and part of that's probably because I don't use Facebook as much as I used to anymore. Uh, so with, with, with that, um, I kind of want to go into wrap up mode here. So minds.com, um, how are you how are you attracting people to minds.com from some of these more like established and, and long-standing platforms? I mean, they haven't been around, you know, super long, uh, but they're kind of like the integrated ones that everybody goes to. What's what's the strategy to get people's attention from that who might be getting dissatisfied, who might be looking at this stuff and starting to, you know, get a little scared about what's going on and not liking what's being done. Mm. What's the mind strategy to, to lure people over and say, Hey, this is, this is a better platform. This is more open. This is more transparent. Go into that. So far, um, so far we have a bunch of YouTubers who are, you know, have been in our court behind us for a long time who, you know, are constantly uh, sounding the siren and telling people to come over we, you know, haven't spent money on marketing really yet. We're in the midst of like a total overhaul of the whole UX and the app. So it's about to like literally be 10x the experience. So excited about it. We've been working on it like all year and in for like the last year. And so if you actually, if you go to minds.com slash canary, C-A-N-A-R-Y, you after you're logged in, you can turn on this experimental mode and see the new interface. It's it's way better. So we're gonna roll that out. Then we'll probably start start working on marketing a little bit more. But to be honest, it's been very grassroots and organic so far. I mean, we just get shout outs from people and people right. come and people are looking for alternatives. So when they're searching for alternatives, they'll stumble upon us. But um yeah, you know, it's sort of a it, it's a tough call to kind of go into the matrix. Um, luckily, our, our our links were banned on Facebook or restricted for not fully banned, but restricted on Facebook for like over a year, which actually recently got reversed. So when you posted a Minds link into Facebook, in the even in the Messenger, this little warning would pop up and say, "This site is insecure." Right. And uh, luckily, we we got that appealed, and and they switched it. But that did a lot of damage. So you know, because somebody who doesn't know about us and is on Facebook and you know sees that, it's like that causes significant damage. Right. It's like a red flag almost. It's like, oh, it must have a virus or something. I can't go on. Yeah, exactly. It's just insane. So you know, 
the same thing has happened with Google Play for a while, but we got back on there. And so we're honestly just trying to build a competitive alternative that is smooth and works. And from there, we'll probably work, start working on some, some more marketing tactics. But, you know, I, I, I have a little bit of the feeling like if you build it, they will come. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and as, as long as you're hitting the influencers, because the influencers are really where it's at. That, that's who people listen to. You know, you're not going to trick anybody with like a, a marketing tactic. You need to get the creators on board. And so if we could help creators make money and get more exposure and be able to say what they want to say, then I feel like that's where the mass migrations on the internet are going to happen. You know, if you get all the biggest YouTubers, the biggest people on Twitter to, to make the move, honestly, I think shifts could happen very quickly. You know, viral moments can happen like within the period of like days if, if you get the right people on board. Right, right. So organic... I, I, that's how I got on the mines. It was, it was a recommendation from a buddy who was already using it. Um, so, so that's what drew, drew me on. Um, Bill, when I'm, when I'm interviewing people, I, I always give them the final opportunity for a final thought or something that maybe we didn't discuss that you want to bring up. I'll, I'll leave that open to you. And then also just dive into where people can find you. I know minds.com will be a primary source, but if they can find you anywhere else, let that out there too. Sure, man. Yeah. I would just say start experimenting with this stuff. Um, you know, the stuff that you use, the apps that you use, the browser you use, it all matters. It's like, we're clicking these things a thousand times a day. So all those clicks are what is driving the evolution of the internet. So you should just, you know, think about what you're clicking on. You know, every time you click on Safari, instead of, brave or firefox like you're feeding apple or you're feeding google with chrome like a, a simple switch like that of like logging into minds once in a while clicking on a different browser making DuckDuckGo your default search engine on your browser those types of things literally are what change is going to ch change this whole situation so Sometimes, you know, it takes a little while to get used to. I, I made the DuckDuckGo switch on my, on my mobile browser like a year ago. And, you know, for like two days, I was like, oh, no, it's like a little bit different. Ah. Right, right. Honestly, that a couple days and then like the, the, the feeling that I have searching now I feel I don't feel dirty and like the benefit of that is just huge and I I always find what I need to find so it's like again they have their tentacles around your neck and like in your brain stem you just gotta like rip them out go through a couple of days of withdrawal and you'll be okay uh, right. but yeah you can, you can find me uh, minds.com slash Ottman that's uh that's where I'm at I'm I'm, I'm not on the other places that's good, man. I was I was expecting you to be like, hey, I'm on Twitter too. I was like, wait a minute, but no, no, I did it. I did. I and I felt bad. Like I even deleted my LinkedIn, but it, which is like 
you know, you delete it and they don't let you back. And every once in a while, cause I used to get like a lot of people reaching out through LinkedIn. I'm weirdly like, but like interesting people, like all these different entrepreneurs and like business owners and people would reach out to me. So I'm, you know, but at the, but LinkedIn it's Microsoft. They have really bad data policies and practices. I was like, I just got to rip it out, walk the walk. And honestly, it all helps me because I, I focus my energy and it's like, if I can't use this, if I, if I can't use Minds as my normal, no, you know, communication platform, how can we expect the world to? So I need to like use myself as an experiment right. in order to scale out. But it's like if I if I can stay focused, and our team even sp- specifically, it's like for our team communication, like I keep. You know, we're, we're trying to not use all of these other like Slack and other collaboration tools. We're trying to just use our platform for our communication so that we can walk the walk because we're a microcosm of every company or every like group of friends. So that's, that's our project. We're not there yet, but honestly within, uh, you know, definitely this year, the app is just going to be fully, you know, un- indistinguishable from you know the functionality that everybody needs and expects so you know it's taking it's taking a little bit longer than expected but it's definitely it it it, it it's it's gaining traction so yeah man thanks for having me on i really appreciate it what's your what are you what's your username uh on minds.com i, I should be fritzcast okay great i'll i'll hit you up on there appreciate it yeah uh, thank you for your time, man. Uh, th- thanks for coming on FritzCast and uh, letting me pick your brain a little bit. Cheers, man. I really enjoyed the conversation. Talk soon.